dedicated to suspense and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. I'm Joshua. We love scary old-time radio stories. There's nothing quite like a disembodied voice telling a genuinely disturbing tale, but do these stories stand the test of time, or are we being deceived by a nostalgia? Are they suspenseful or forgettable, bone-chilling or butt-numbing? That's what we're here to find out. In honor of Valentine's Day, I've invited my lovely wife, Adrian to join us as our very first special guest. Adrian, what episode have you chosen for us today? Something romantic, I hope. If you find an unstoppable horde of flesh-eating ants romantic, then yes. Cue the violence. You don't mean the classic 1948 episode of Escape, Line Engine versus the Ants, adapted from a 1938 short story by Carl Stevenson starring William Conrad as Line Engine, do you? You know me so well. All right, all right, all right, get a room. Anyway, for those of you not in a weird old-time radio relationship, Escape was an anthology series that ran on CBS from July 7th, 1947 to September 25th, 1954. The show was designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. With stories focused on life or death situations, many of them adapted from classic literature. Line Engine versus the Ants proved to be a very popular story. It was repeated three times on Escape, two times on Suspense, once on Mystery in the Air, and once on Lux Radio Theater. Today's episode is the first Escape performance originally broadcast January 14, 1948. Line Engine vs. the Ants was also the inspiration for the 1954 film The Naked Jungle, starring Charlton Heston, and a first-season episode of MacGyver called Trumbo's World. Spoiler alert, the radio version is better. Forget the petty distractions around you. Forget what you think you know. Forget everything but what you hear right now. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music. And listen to the voices. That was pretty good. (laughs) Nice job, Adrian. (laughs) You are isolated on a remote plantation in the crawling Amazon jungle. And an immense army of ravenous ants is closing in on you. Swarming in to eat you alive. A deadly black army from which there is no escape. Escape, produced and directed by William N. Robeson, and carefully contrived to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight we escape to the Amazon jungle and to a creeping, crawling terror, as Carl Stevenson told it in his gripping story, Linogen versus the Ants. I first met Linogen while performing my duty as district commissioner. 
As my boat neared his plantation landing, I saw him upon the riverbank, regarding me with mild interest. A great hulk of a man with bristling gray hair, bulky nose, and pale eyes. His entire appearance somehow suggested an aging and shabby eagle. He escorted me to the terrace and had a drink brought. I came quickly to the point of my visit and issued my warning. Leiningen puffed placidly at a huge cigar and listened as I told him, unless they alter their course and there's no reason why they should, they'll reach your plantation in two days at the latest. Uh Uh-huh. Well, it was decent of you paddling all this way just to give me the tip. Tip? Commissioner. Even a herd of crocodiles couldn't drive me from this plantation of mine. But these aren't creatures you can fight. They're, They're an elemental force, a gigantic catastrophe. Ten miles long, two miles wide, ants, nothing but ants, and each one as big as your thumb, and each of them a fiend from hell. Unless you clear out at once, there'll be nothing left of you but a skeleton picked as clean as your own plantation will be. I'm not getting out. But you can't fight. Yes, I can. I've got the best weapon there is, Commissioner. Intelligence. But can't I make you understand the hideous... I think it is you who do not understand... In the three years I've been here, I've met and defeated more than one catastrophe. Flood, drought, the plague. Events which caused many of my neighbors to flee for their lives. No, Commissioner, all my life I have lived with one creed. The human brain needs only to become fully aware of its powers to conquer even the elements. Leinenchen, your obstinacy is endangering not only your own life, but the lives of your workers and their families. You don't know these ants. I tell you, you don't know these ants. But Leinenchen merely sat there puffing at his cigar and regarding me with a smug grin, and I knew it was hopeless. As I boarded my launch and cast off, I realized I'd never met a man like that. And I could not, not help, help wondering, wondering what about the strange look in the commissioner's eyes as he boarded his launch and cast off. Undoubtedly, he thought me insane. <laughs> well, he would not have been the first to think so. But I, Leinenchen, knew my own powers. I was sure of myself. I knew that intelligence directed aright always makes man the master of his fate. That night, I called my Indian workers together in front of the plantation house. I saw their faces go ashen with terror as I told them that the ants were coming. I watched them as they milled around, muttering. I said nothing more to them. Finally, one of the men stepped forward. Blas, the foreman. Uh, Patron, we have worked hard here for these three years. Uh, all of us. We have built the finest plantation in this district. We all share in it. It has been a home for all of us and our families. Now the ants come. So? Uh, Those ditches we dug last year, the pipe we put in the ground, that was for the ants? Yes, that was for the ants. If we moved our families across the river, the ants could not reach them? Yes, that's right. And you? The ants are mighty. We know what they can do. All of us think that you are mighty. Patron, we will stay with you and fight against the ants. I knew that the men would give me that answer. 
I counted on it. I thought of the commissioner and wondered what he would say at such unquestioning confidence. Would he still think I was insane? Or had he dismissed me out of my mind? One man who calmly evaluated his chances against a deadly menace coolly decided he could win and was willing to stake his life on it, to risk a horrible death for it. It was terrifying. And yet it was fascinating. The next morning I sent for my assistant. Together we went to the huge map of the district which hung from a wall of my office and checked the last reported position of the ants. Last night they had reached here, about 70 miles above this fork in the river. Traveling southeast? Uh, yes. Directly toward Leinenshaw. Toward uh, whom, sir? That plantation at the bend in the river belongs to a man named Leinenshaw. When would you say the ants will reach there? Oh, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I imagine about... Uh, Tomorrow noon. Tomorrow noon. Still time. Uh, still uh, time? Uh, what do you mean, sir? Why? Why nothing? But what did I mean? Still time for what? For Lyman to flee, or still time for me to? Even as I rejected the thought with horror, I knew that the fascination of that man was more than I could resist. That Lyman's fight was drawing me back toward that plantation, and death. I knew now past all doubt that I was going back. I had to. It was ten o'clock in the morning when I rounded the bend and saw Lanningen's plantation before me. I put in at the dock and tied up the launch. Then I saw him standing on the bank above me, arms folded, stubby cigar in his mouth, and that same smug grin on his face. I made my way up to him. Ah, back with another warning, Commissioner? No. Back to stay a while? Yes. <laughs> you don't seem surprised. No, I'm not. You expected me? I thought you'd be back. Yeah, come along, we'll get some horses. You'll want to ride around the plantation, take a look at the defenses I've rigged up. Yes, I'll want to see the defenses. And the ants. We'll be getting a glimpse of them before long, I should think. Yes, the ants. The defenses Lanningen had devised were quite impressive. Surrounding three sides of the plantation like a huge horseshoe was a ditch, 12 feet wide. The ends of this horseshoe-shaped ditch ran into the river which formed the fourth side of the plantation. At the upriver entrance to the ditch, Lyningen had constructed a dam by which the river water could be diverted into the ditch. A large hand wheel controlled the floodgate of the dam, and apparently Lyningen had ordered it opened immediately after my arrival. Whereas we now approached the ditch and rode along it, I could see that it was nearly full. Ah! How do you like my first line of defense, Commissioner? It's reassuring, like a moat around a castle. <laughs> Unless the ants know how to build rafts, they won't reach the plantation. But this is only the outer moat. There's a better one than this. Now, come along. We'll go up to the high ground where the buildings are. We can get a view from there. Leinenchen. Huh? I didn't see any women or children around the plantation or any animals. Yes, that's right. Moved them across the river. And even you think there is danger. Not because of danger, Commissioner. Matter of efficiency. Efficiency? Yeah, it cuts down on the efficiency of the men if they're worried about their families. Critical situations only become crises when 
Oxen and women get excited. I see. Ah, here we are. Ah, see the ditch? It's much smaller than the others. Yes, you've noticed how all the buildings are on this piece of high ground. The inner ditch surrounds them, and it's lined with concrete. But even filled with water, this is no barrier. It's not big enough. Why, if the ants get this far, they'll... They'll get no farther. This ditch wasn't built for water, Commissioner. You see the pipes leading into it? See those storage tanks on the hill? Petrol. We can throw up a wall of flame. Care to bet they won't like that? I hope you're right. Lannigan, look. Over at the edge of the jungle, all those animals. Yes. Running like the wind. Everything from jaguars to monkeys. Good heavens. Remember, they don't have any ditches. But can they escape? Now, they'll be all right as long as they don't get caught between the river and the ants. They can outrun the crawlers. But if they get trapped, it's either the ants or the crocodiles. Ah, look, look. Up there over the horizon. There are your ants. Look at them. It was a sight I will never forget. Over the range of hills, as far as I could see, crept a darkening hem, ever longer and broader until the shadows spread across the entire slope, then downward, downward, uncannily swift, and all the green herbage on the entire slope was being mowed as by a giant sickle, leaving only the vast moving shadow extending, deepening, and always moving nearer. Uh, they're a hideous lot. Lannigan, we can't last against that. Look at them. Why, they will fill your ditches with their corpses and still have enough to destroy every one of us. We've got to run. Well, I... I... No, they haven't gotten to us yet, and they never will. The hostile army was approaching in perfect formation. No human battalions, however well-drilled, could ever hope to rival the precision of that advance. Along a front that moved forward as uniformly as a straight line, the ants drew nearer and nearer to the water ditch. As they approached, two outlying wings of the army detached themselves from the main body and started marching along the sides of the ditch, no doubt expecting at some point to find a crossing. And during this hour-long flanking movement, the main army remained still. Across the scant 12 feet of ditch, I stared at them, and they stared back at me. Solid mass, everyone as big as my thumb with reddish-black body and long legs. Suddenly, a sound so unearthly as to freeze our blood jerked our heads in the direction of the jungle on the far side of the ditch. Coming toward the ditch at a stumbling gallop was a singular being, a writhing animal-like blackened statue with a shapeless head and four quivering feet. It was a stag covered over and over with ants. Lannigan threw up his rifle, and the stag fell lifeless to the ground, its agonies at an end. Horrified as I was, my curiosity impelled me to glance at my watch. I had to know how long the ants would take. Six long minutes, only the white polished bones of the stag remained. Now I could see a change in Lannigan. Gone was the sporting zest of the novel contest. In its place was a cold, violent purpose. 
He had to beat the ants because he now knew how long it would take them once they got to us. Around four in the afternoon, the ant scouts, having found no crossing, there was a stirring among the main army. And then an immense flood of ants about a hundred yards in width commenced pouring in a glimmering black cataract down the flower slope of the ditch. Thousands drowned instantly, but the rest began using the bodies as bridges. Lanagan immediately swung into action. The dam, open the floodgate a little more. We've got to get the water in the ditch moving faster. Si, senor. Look at them drown. But they keep coming. Even though the current carries many of them away, they're advancing. Well, we'll fix them. Blas! Yes, senor. How about those shovels and petrol sprinklers? You passed them out to the men? Yes, sir. It has been done. Then get all hands here in a hurry. This looks like the spot for action. Commissioner. Yes? Beginning to see what I was talking about? What do you mean? About intelligence being more than a match for anything it tackles. Take the ants. They've got no intelligence. If they had, they'd have attacked along the whole length of the ditch instead of a narrow front like this. They'd have been across by now. No. Too bad I'm not running their campaign for them. You can joke about it like that with hands halfway across the All right, men. Busy with the shovels now. Dump some sand and quads on them. See how they like that. You with the petrol sprinklers. Stop pumping. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. They don't like it, Commissioner. They don't like it a bit. Look at them. Yes. But look at the ones on the far side of the ditch. Whole clumps of them rolling into the water. The rest are using them for bridges. Yes. Smarter than I thought. And they're widening their front, too. Some of them are getting across. Uh, grab a shovel, then, Commissioner. Make them regret it. What's the matter? They kill them, my shovel, senor. Let on my eyes. petrol, idiot. Dash your hands in the petrol. Don't stop now. The rest of you, club them. Club them. We cannot hold it back, senor. We must run. Keep at it. Keep at it. Don't stop now. Uh-huh. Ah, the water's moving faster. And you got the floodgates open. Yes. They can't hold their own against the current now. Uh, look at him, Commissioner. The water's carrying him away. We've beat him. We've won out. It was true. Leiningen had won. At least the opening round. The floodgates were left open to forestall any night crossing. But when dawn came, the dark blanket was still there, motionless across the ditch. Then we noticed a feverish activity on the other side of the plantation. Here, a grove of tamarind trees lined the far end of the ditch, and every tree swarmed with the crawling insects. But instead of eating the leaves, they were merely gnawing through the stems so that a thick green shower fell steadily to the ground. Well, it looks as if it's feeding time for our friends, eh? Blas. Senor. Have all the petrol pumps brought here. Get everyone over here except the lookouts on the other side. Then pass out the shovels. Uh, si, senor. Going to deprive them of a meal? A meal? Aren't they cutting down the leaves for food? No. I wish they were. Looks like I underestimated them when I said they didn't have intelligence. What do you mean? I said if they wanted to get across, they'd have to have rafts. And that's just what they've got. Those leaves are their rafts. 
Even as he spoke, the leaves went tumbling down the far bank by the thousands. The current drew them away from the bank, and each leaf carried several ants. Don't worry. As long as you can keep spraying them and shoveling dirt on their rafts, they can't land. But there will be too many. It's true. Look, more leaves in the ditch all the time. Why, they'll have a solid carpet to walk across in a minute. Uh, not so fast, Commissioner. I've still got a trick up my sleeve for them. The water! The ditch is drying up. Yeah, yes, of course it's drying up. That's the plan. Those are the orders I sent to the dam. Are you mad? As soon as it's empty, what's to prevent the... Look, the water's way down. It's almost dry. They'll be able to come across the bottom. They'll not make it. The man at the dam will have opened the gates by now. To flood the ants? Right. But what a chance to take. If anything should happen... (laughs) Ah, Here it comes. Here comes the water. Yes, we'll give the crawlers a ditch to ride in. Right out to the river. There. (laughs) Look at them go. Heinenjun's tactics were successful at first. The violent flow of water at the original depth raced through the ditch, overwhelming leaves and ants and sweeping them along. Three times the ditch was emptied. Three times the ants raced across its bottom and three times the rushing water arriving just in time carried them away. But the fourth time, as the water lowered nearly to the bottom of the ditch, we waited in vain for the rushing waters and then... What's the matter? What's gone wrong at the dam? Just as the man at the dam lowered the water almost to the bottom, the ants attacked. Before he could open the floodgate, he was almost surrounded. He ran. The ants kept coming. They are across the ditch. Leinenson stood motionless, absorbing the news of his defeat without a word. Then he raised his pistol and fired three shots into the air. The prearranged signal for all the men to retreat instantly to the second line of defense... The concrete ditches more than a mile from the point of the invasion. Soon after we arrived there, the natives commenced straggling in silently. Lanningen waited until all of them had gathered. Then he spoke to them. Well, lads, we won the first round and lost the second. But we'll smash the crawlers yet. Anyone who thinks otherwise can draw his pay and push off. There are rafts enough on the river and plenty of time still to reach them. You'll stay then. Good. Thank you, lads. And you, Commissioner? I... I can't persuade you to give up the fight? You cannot. Then I stay, too. Yeah. I knew you would. Senor! Senor! If you are the ants of Rita Ditch... They are trying to get across? No, Senor. I didn't think they would. There's plenty of food out there for them. My fields and orchards, the work of three years. Ought to last them until morning, anyway. Yes, we were safe for that night. But the next morning, the black swarm was solid around us and their shock troops were hard at work. They were dropping shreds of bark and twigs and leaves into the petrol-filled ditches, forming a floating bridge across the surface of the liquid. Leinengen stood silently watching this operation and I could see a grudging admiration in his face. Then after several hours, the attack came. ditch they poured millions of them and across the bridge of twigs rapidly approaching the inner side Lanagan sat motionless watching them watching them Lanagan for the love of God don't sit there like a statue they'll be on us in a moment let them fill the ditch first ah now all right everyone back hand me the torch now we'll see how our friends like a little heat 
flames from the ditch shot into the air, devouring ants by the millions. It was some time before the petrol burned down to the bed of the ditch, but when it did, the devils came back for more. Again, Lannigan fired the ditch to destroy them. And still again they came on, but at each successive firing, the task of the ants grew easier because of the film of ash which now covered the petrol. And as they returned to the assault time after time, a slow, sickening horror crept into my mind. I looked quickly at Lannigan, then at the petrol tanks. He read my gaze and nodded slowly. That's right, Commissioner. We could hold them off forever if our supply of petrol was unlimited. But it isn't. We've got enough to fill the ditch once more. Lannigan, isn't there any way, any way at all? We've got to do something. I we know, can't... I know. There must be a way. There must be. Yes. Yes. What is it? We'll flood the whole plantation. Flood? But how? The river's higher than any point except this high ground we're on now. If the river was dammed all the way, it'd overflow that stone breakwater and flood the whole plantation. We've got to close the floodgate at the dam. That'll do it. You're mad. The dam is more than a mile away, more than a mile away. Lads, listen to me. Listen, lads. I'm proud of you. Now, there's still a chance. By shutting the floodgates on the dam and flooding the whole plantation from the river. The moment I'm over the ditch, set fire to it. That'll allow time for the flood to wash away the ants. Then all you'll have to do is wait for me. It's impossible. You can't get to the dam, let alone back. That's why you're wrong, Commissioner. I'll get there, and I'll get back. Take care of things while I'm gone, huh? I watched him as he calmly pulled on high leather boots, drew gauntlets over his hand and stuffed the spaces between breeches and boots, gauntlets and arms, with petrol-soaked rags. He shielded his eyes with close-fitting mosquito goggles and plugged his nostrils and ears with cotton. Then the natives drenched his clothes with petrol. Blas, who acted as doctor to the men, smeared a salve over him, and finally Lannington was ready. As he stood calmly surveying... ready for the run, I realized that this is as it should be. I, Lannington, would meet the ants and defeat them, or be defeated by them. <laughs> Lannington versus the ants. Yes, it was right that it should be like this. But now there was no more time for thought. Only action. I took a deep breath and then bounded across the ditch and among the ants. I ran. I ran in long, equal strides with one thought, one sensation in my being. I must get through. I dodged the trees and shrubs. Except for the split seconds my soles touched the ground, the ants would have no opportunity to alight on me. I ran on. I was halfway to the dam before I felt ants under my clothes and a few on my face. I struck on them mechanically, scarcely conscious of their bites. And the dam drew toward me slowly. And the distance grew less, less. Finally, only a hundred yards away. Fifty. Then I was there. I gripped the ant-covered wheel, but... <laughs> oddly, had I seized it when a horde of ants flowed over my hands and arms. I strained, and slowly the wheel turned. <laughs> and turned more. The floodgate was swinging slowly shut. Then it was shut. And the water was rising. Rising behind the breakwater. Closer to the top. Closer. And then it was spilling over. Flooding of the plantation had begun. I let go of the wheel and started back through the ants. I was coated from head to foot with the fiends. Tongues of fire stabbed at me as they bit into my flesh. 
I almost lost my head with the pain as I ran, knocking ants from my body, brushing them from my bloody face. And that one bit me just below the rim of my goggles. I managed to tear him away. But the agony of the bite and its venom drilled into the eye nerves. I saw now through circles of fire into a milky mist. I was almost blinded. But I knew that if I tripped and fell, I ran on, my heart pounding as if it would burst. Blood roaring in my ears, a giant's fist battering my lungs. And then I could see dimly that wall of flame at the ditch, but it was too far away. I could not last half that distance. I stumbled and fell. Felt myself being swarmed over, devoured. Tried to rise. A great weight. And then suddenly the vision of the half-devoured stag in my brain... Six minutes, then nothing bones. I couldn't let that happen to me. I couldn't die like that. To my feet. My feet. Drag myself forward. Draw the flame. The ditch. The ring of flame. Closer now. Only a little closer. It seemed we had waited for hours when all at once through the blazing ring around us an apparition hurtled and fell full length on the ground. It was Leiningen, alive with ants, unconscious, with glazing eyes and lacerated face. We rushed to him, stripped off his clothes and tore at the ants that covered him. His body seemed almost one open wound. In one place I could see a white bone. the curtain of flame lowered, I looked out where the blanket of ants had been and saw only a vast expanse of water, covering the entire plantation and working its way to within a few feet of the concrete ditch. The ants were gone, drowned, and Leiningen had won. He lay on his bed, his body swathed from head to foot with bandages, but alive and still in command. Everything in order? Everything's in order. I told you I'd come back. Uh-huh. Even if I am a bit streamlined... Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson, and tonight brought you Leinengen vs. the Ants by Carl Stevenson. Adapted for radio by Robert Reif, with William Conrad as Leinengen and Lou Merrill as the commissioner. Music was conceived and conducted by Cy Fuhr. Next week... You are groping through a dark alleyway in the French Quarter of New Orleans, with terror driving you on. And always before your eyes is the malevolent stare of a voodoo man, striking you with a deadly curse from which you must escape.
Next week, we escape with William Irish's eerie story of a voodoo-haunted band leader, Papa Benjamin. Good night, then, until this same time next week, when we again offer you Escape. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That was Leiningen versus the Ants, an episode of Escape, and you are listening to the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. I'm Joshua. And I'm Adrian. So Adrian is here, if you've just joined us, which would be weird. Why would you just join us in the middle of a podcast? That's such <laughs> an odd thing. Radio, right, right. <laughs> but uh, Adrian, this was her choice as we're celebrating Valentine's Day, and this is Joshua's wife. And if you forgot during the entire ant horde <laughs> from the beginning that Adrian is here. So uh, let's start, Adrian. This was your choice. How much old-time radio have you listened to? Were you into it before you met your husband? I'd listen to some. My parents are really, really old, so they grew up listening to 1930s. Aren't all parents really, really old? True. <laughs> but mine were born in the late 20s, so oh, they wow. really grew up listening to this stuff. Although um, my dad's favorite was Lone Ranger, and my mm-hmm. mom's favorite was I Love a Mystery. Which, yeah. What's your mom's phone number? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I had not heard a lot of the suspense stuff until I met Joshua. Is and your then mother's I phone number like Klondike 673? <laughs> 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 Did I mention she's really, really old, Derek? Yeah, well, like, we have something in common. Ew. So, and then when you met Joshua, you uh, guys have been listening to it your whole relationship? or Oh, yeah. Was that a common thing with you guys when you met? Like, No, well, when I met Adrian, that was often what I would do to fall asleep. And so she just was forced <laughs> right. to listen to these old radio shows because I, I, I will fall asleep listening to people screaming and being murdered by hordes of ants. <laughs> and it's like, oh, yes. It's like counting sheep for me. It is for it's me like as well, yes. Counting murders. In fact, this podcast is hard because we send each other our selections and uh, it takes me days to get through them because I keep falling asleep. <laughs> it's like taking a baby in a car ride. <laughs> Um, before, what, what are some of your favorite shows uh, of uh, old time radio? Probably Quiet Please yeah. is my favorite um, because of the lack of screaming and murders. and They're just quietly done. They're there. Well, they're there. You're right. But some of those were the most idiosyncratic stories. We don't uh, use big words on this podcast. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. So I don't know. Why did you call me an idiot? Um, do you prefer the horror or the other kinds of old time radio? Like maybe... Lone Ranger or stuff like that. Um, I like the suspenseful ones that don't necessarily involve horror, where there isn't right. really graphic, right. tortuous, yeah, hideous death, um, but that are psychologically suspenseful. Yep. Yeah, I hear you. I will tell you that Leiningen is uh, versus the Ants is one that I've listened to many, many, many times. And when I saw that it was your selection, like, oh, here we go with this one again. But it's been 10 years. Yeah. I got suckered. Again, every time I pick this up and say, oh, yeah, let's listen to that from the first time to a week ago when I listened to this. And I forget, oh, right, they're not giant ants. <laughs> they're just ant ants. They're still the, the size of your size thumb. size of your thumb. Yeah, that's pretty damn that's a big. big. It yeah. is that, well, okay, it's big-ish. But in my head going in, I always have to remind myself that it's not like food of the gods. Oh, that was a 70s film reference that no one's going to get. But, you know, like giant ants. So I somewhat get disappointed. and go, all right, right, right. Just a, oh, it's a lot just of tiny ants. a swarm ant. of killer ants. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
So why this one? Why'd you pick this one for us? Well, first of all, William Conrad's voice. Good <laughs> Lord. Um, oh, honey, can you do a William Conrad voice? <laughs> oh, my God. Do we need to leave? <laughs> <laughs> the ants, Adrian. I can't do no, it. No, you just... can't. Um, but I think one of the reasons is exactly what you said. The ants, I mean, they're the size of your thumb, so they're bigger than normal ants, but they're close to normal, mm-hmm. so, which is why I've always found this one incredibly disturbing because ants are a real thing. They do swarm in large numbers. And so you can almost imagine something like this really happening as opposed to right. aliens with beams coming out of their eyes or whatever that's not as actually distressing. Wait a minute. Mm. Oh, sorry. You've ruined some things for Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, before we get any further than unpicking your brain about this, Tim, have you ever heard Linogen? I had not heard this before. What's your thoughts? I really enjoyed it. The character of Linogen, who I'm uh, probably before the end here, when, before we're done, I'm going to mix it up and say Swearingen, because for whatever reason, the two characters have <laughs> oh, yeah. now become conflated in my head. Um, but interesting is, is that a Lord of the Rings guy? Uh, Deadwood from uh, oh. HBO show. Oh. Imagine if William Conrad just swore up and down throughout this entire episode, wow. and it would be there would be some similarities. Uh, but it was really interesting to me to think of how the audience at the time would react to that character—that he's still sort of brash and uh, grating, but sort of a romanticized hero. Mm-hmm. That the audience now would be like, "That guy's got it coming to him." Plantation owner out there, foolishly flaunting himself mm-hmm. in the face of nature. But then we are drawn in like the commissioner is to this charismatic personality, and you kind of want to believe he's right, even though you don't think he can be. <laughs> yeah. And then the actual, the way they present his his fight is so in, uh, engaging that by the end, you are rooting for him. I was. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Because, I mean, he follows through on everything he says. At first, you think he's full of hot air, right? But yeah. time and time again, he gives the um, <laughs> employees a chance to leave if they want to. When it comes down to there's there's only one job to do is to fight through these ants and open this dam, he's going to be the one to do it. So you, by the end, go, oh, okay, there's a reason all these people are loyal to him because he at least backs up what he says. Yes. With action. I struggled. I always have with this. Uh, it's not one of my favorites. And I, I think there's some reasons for that. And I think, first of all, being a child of the 70s, perhaps just a tad older, that I can't stop picturing canon. <laughs> and William Conrad is canon. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. canon out there fighting ants. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and it's hard for me to get that out that of... That doesn't make it better? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> well, then, you know... Beretta shows up and Harry O and it gets really weird. In Jake my and the Fat Man. Jake and the Fat Man. Oh, that's a little bit older. Barnaby Jones. Um, there's also a, a quality to William Conrad that is a little like it's a Commander McBrag story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remember the cartoon? Yep. It, the, yep. You know, like he's, it's almost cartoony, his yes. performance. Oh, yeah. You were saying, you know, it's a very real situation that these ants could come, but he's so... Over the top yep. about it that it gets... It, well, there's, there's a part at the of, top where I am really like, I hope those ants tear him apart. Yes, <laughs> I agree. But by the end, I had switched. Really? Yeah. That's why his he's so perfect for this because uh, Linogen has so much bravado. Right? Yeah. And, right. and he just epitomizes that. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get by the idea of why are you risking other people's lives and just not moving out for a while until we figure out a better way to handle the ant situation. <laughs> and so that's, he makes him really unlikable to stand your ground. 
Like I believe that. he wouldn't risk these people's lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, because but he did. He oh, did. He, asked, he, he, gave he, said, yeah, he gave them the chance. Mm-hmm. He right. was so certain himself that he thought they would stay. But I can see a story where all of them leave and he would just hunker down there and go, bring it, ants. I'm William Conrad. <laughs> I'm William Conrad. Oh, see, but that voice is able to deliver my single favorite line from all of old radio, which is... Situations only become crises when oxen and women get excited. I mean, that's the best thing anyone has ever said, and nobody could deliver it like William Conrad. He does sell that. Oh. Like, yeah, from right. that line forward, I, just in the back of my head, was like, panicky oxen? What are panicky oxen like? <laughs> They're very, oh my God, one's feeding. Oh my God. Uh, for I can't keep time with the lambs. <laughs> I'll let that sink in. Um, many, many years ago, uh, when there was such a thing as answering machines, uh, when Adrian and I were first married, that was our outgoing message on our answering machine. Oh, yeah. Inexplicably for, for years, just that line of dialogue about <laughs> oxen and women getting excited. Wow. And we had very mixed responses, which was fun. There is no other people in the world for you two than you two. Nope. <laughs> Definitely not. There's nobody that would put up with you two but you two. <laughs> Uh, uh, Adrian, uh, do you have a fear of insects? I'm going to ask that because I not have... particularly. Well, Joshua seems to think you do. Spiders in the shower. Uh, I feel oh, like oh I no! Insects, arachnids, on. two different things. Oh, what are we talking sorry. about? He said insects. All of a sudden, I feel like I'm a newlywed game. <laughs> <laughs> you just rolled your eyes and stuck the card down and went. Is that like your no? Twelve seventies reference so far. <laughs> Well, spiders, we yes. Insects, right. no. I was counting spiders as insects, and, you're and I wrong. am totally wrong scientifically. Right. Yeah. So she got me. Okay. Yeah. Here's why I say that. I think that somehow this might be more scary for someone if you're terrified of ants. I think this is a story of suspense. I don't okay. know that it's terrifying. I don't think it's built for that. It is based on will he be able to achieve this? And we're right. talking, it's still an era of old radio where it might end with Lion Engine being devoured by ants. Right. I mean, if you haven't read the original short story it's based on, then you might really not know how this is going to work it, out. It's extremely accurate to the short story. Very. It's think, almost word for wordy um, the um, only in thing, 30 minutes. The only thing they do, which is sort of interesting, uh, is they bring the commissioner back in. And in the story, the commissioner just says, you're crazy, Lion Engine. You don't know these ants. And you leave. <laughs> I know these. I drink with these ants. <laughs> exactly. You do not want to mess with these ants. Um, but I thought it was kind of a brilliant move on uh, the guy who adapted it to bring the commissioner back in the way he did. Obviously, it serves a function mm-hmm. to keep get the thoughts out of Lionagen's head because the story takes place on his head. So it, it, right. it gives a reason to create dialogue for old radio. It also provides a vocal contrast that's really great between that actor who plays the commissioner and William Conrad. And this is, all right, so this is interesting because that's one of my notes is I had an issue with the switching of narrator. That structure was really weird and interesting that it it was, yeah, switching narrators who were speaking in past tense. I didn't like it. It Really? Yeah, I didn't like the fact that we had a narrator and then all of a sudden William Conrad was narrating himself in the past. Like, why can't that other guy continue to tell the whole story? Why did we switch to him? Because it's structurally interesting. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not just... It's inconsistent. Well, on how they chose to make the transitions because you would... The first transition happens when the commissioner is 
sharing his thoughts about Linogen and it transitions into Linogen because he's kind of narcissistic, thinking about how the commissioner might be thinking about him. <laughs> I thought it was really brilliant. And he's not at all surprised when the commissioner com- comes back, mm-hmm. you know, even yeah. though he was utterly terrified and wimpy and I knew you'd come back. Yeah. And that's a whole, really that's funny. a creation of the guy who adapted mm-hmm. this. And I think mm-hmm. it was interesting that he chose to make the commissioner compelled by Line Engine's personality um, because it, it, it's a way to get this other narrator and voice into the story, but it also feeds into the thematics of the story. So I thought the, it was a really well the done. The narrator is, the, especially at the top, the more sympathetic voice. If the narrator says, okay, I'm curious, I want to go back, the audience says, well, I trust this guy, so I'll go back with him. Right. I, I will give to you that, yeah, I think that that's a different way to look at it. Yeah, it's structurally interesting, and that's a lot, all those things you just said. But also, from my standpoint of view, at the time that it happened, I just got confused. Like, my immediate thing is, why is that happening? So I see now what you're saying is, oh, that's a cool device. Yeah. That's an interesting way to do that. Yeah. You got excited but, like an oxen. Right. <laughs> skittish, it scared you. I, but when it happened, I just went, well, why are we doing that? That was my first reaction, why I didn't like it. When that was happening, uh, it, it brought to mind for me the, the structure of the novel Dracula, which to possibly lose some horror cred, I don't particularly like. Uh, because it is multiple voices telling the story in journals and letters and in past tense, and it's mm-hmm. it really distances you from the action. And in Dracula, it falls apart, I think, uh, because the end, the climactic fight, is you're reading about it in some guy's journal, whereas in this one, by the time it gets to the climax, they've really abandoned this back-and-forth structure, and it's just, not Swearingen, Leningen, <laughs> yes. um, telling his story in a really close, personal First-person point of view. Oh, yeah, because he's describing it as it happens. And they also make the interesting choice to just totally cut out any incidental music. Yes. When he's describing his race through the ants, it's yeah. just sound effect and it's just William Conrad's mm-hmm. voice. And they're like, we can't compete with William Conrad's voice. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, let's see if you uh, – I have another issue with this. And I'll see if you can change my mind now on that. Uh, the music in this, I thought – I I hate and here's why. Because oh. it all, oh, right? All right, so oh. you're already mad at me? No, I'm no. totally uh, yeah, agreeing with I, you. I, that, yeah, I'd agree with that, too. Every time music played, I felt like you could have a voiceover go, Commerce! Industry! <laughs> the future is now! It was like those... You thought it was just too grand. Yeah, it was too grand. The part that killed me was, was especially in like the first description of the ants, they're coming over the hill and look at the ants, and then music plays, and it's like, are you saying the ants are playing a little... Diddy as they come over. <laughs> yeah. They got a little marching band going. No, not, I would have liked that. <laughs> no. It didn't bother me. It didn't bother you. didn't affect Not at you. all. I mean, I think because of the grandness of the thematics You know, it's like that transition music. I that remember from that. The, oh, I that remember music. the really swelling, like loud transition music. Yep. It's I, not underneath it much at all in no, the story. It's, it's it, here and there. Yeah. But the, the marching music? The kind of military. It sounds okay. like little toy soldiers. It sounds kind of kind of chipper and yeah, it's weirdly too... cheery. It's kind of the odd. The music is weirdly cheery. I would be curious to hear some other productions of it to see uh, how they handle yep. the music. It's uh, the same script in a lot of them, but that would be interesting uh, yep. research to do in our copious amount of free time. Yes, right. <laughs> Contrary to that, though, I thought the sound effects were great. Yep, I uh, agree. The torches and... Yeah, yep. and the stag dying—that was, yep. ooh, that was really gruesome. Given how gruesome it was, uh, one of the reasons they're effective is they're really understated for the sound effects. They don't overdo them. I like that they stuck to the story, so it, they didn't have to rewrite much. The story is already successful, 
and I like how it was produced, and I like, you know what I'm saying? I like all that. I I don't know. I, 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 I'm not afraid of the ants. I don't know. You know what I mean? And it wasn't, to me, it didn't become suspenseful even because I kept thinking, ah, oh, there's got to be a way to stop ants. <laughs> so then, right? Come on. Like, they're not, what's happening? And I, but. So you wouldn't here believe is, the commissioner either. You would tell him to go. No, I get would. Out of no, my I would. No, You'd I would. Leave the I would leave and I'd say, you know, uh, go in with whatever technology we have and stop the ants and then I'll be back. Like, it seems like it should be easier than that. Like, set them all on fire. But then there's this ants are very Borg like. So that is kind of terrifying. You know, ants mm-hmm. can be that. That force that, well, you know, resistance is futile if you're a massive force and you don't understand, and death doesn't mean anything, I guess Mm -hmm. that that could be impossible to stop. But how many are there? And has this ever happened? Does uh, That's what I want to know. Do ants really do this? And They do swarm. I mean, there are fire ants and bigger ants that have have venom in their bite, but they're not quite that big. But this particular line is it was two miles wide and 10 miles long right that's so you're talking billions of the things right and they just kept coming in waves they didn't care that they were getting burned and drowned right. and they just kept coming and they ran out of petrol they ran out biblical. of water and they just kept coming it was biblical so how would you actually stop that i don't know uh Ray. little girl ants in dresses <laughs> <laughs> well i mean the story is meant to to play at that theme of nature they kept using the term elemental to describe the ants. They are supposed to be the stand-in for nature and man versus nature. And I think the suspense comes from uh, Leiningen's conviction that his intelligence mm-hmm. will beat these ants. And so then I think the suspense gets ratcheted up when the ants are like, oh yeah, well, we're intelligent too. We are building rafts, M ever. <laughs> we're, we're coming across. You know, and I mean and that's when he he falters a little too, uh, Leinigen, where he's like, right. Oh, okay. Maybe nature has some intelligence to it that I have uh, underestimated. And so as right. the, the, the battle becomes less one-sided, I think, is when the suspense ratchets up. I, I, again, I wish they were giant. <laughs> <laughs> but then they'd be a lot easier to kill. Would you, would There's you, only be 10 of them. Here's a question. Would you prefer a comic book adaptation, which digging around I found from like the <laughs> 50s, where it was called, wasn't Linogen, it was Von Mole. Versus the ants, and it was a very loose adaptation from like a Charlton comic book, like strange suspense stories. It was a, a early right. one drawn by Steve Ditko, who would later, you know, do Spider Man and Doctor Strange and stuff. But they changed this German character, uh, who Leinengen is. It was originally written by a German author, uh, but they gave him um, all these scars on his face, like a handlebar mustache and a monocle, <laughs> and he was. He, Wait a minute. No, that's exactly how I'm picturing Conrad in this. You you would monocle and and you're not big boots up to his knees. Exactly. You need to check out. We'll we'll put a panel on the webpage somewhere from this. It is it is pretty awesome. And in the end of this comic, uh, the ants come and devour Von Maul. He's totally unsympathetic. (laughs) This sounds like it's the story, Eric. Wants to I read. don't know what I want. I I think that I I understand that I'm in the minority. Here's the other thing: is that a lot of people talk about this episode uh, as a great episode. It's very it's popular. It's famous in old time radio. Uh, it was really popular when it came on the air, um, especially this escape version. And people are like, "Wow, that was great!" So it got a lot of attention. I just think structurally, it's really nice. And I think escape from 
this period will all of escape just really knows how to structure a story. I would agree with that. How to integrate narration versus scene and sound effects and when to have music and when not, even if you didn't like the music. <laughs> right. I think they're really good at finding yeah. moments where the music goes away and it's, it's just really mm-hmm. tense and when the music will actually add to the tension. It is expertly produced yeah. and directed. Absolutely. I don't know what my hangup is. It could still go back to, well, that's... William Conrad. <laughs> um, so obviously, is this one of your favorites? Is that why you picked it of all time, or Adrian? Um, it is one of my favorites, and it's one of the first ones that Josh played for me. One of the first Escape episodes he ever played. So there's so that. It is romantic. It is romantic <laughs> in a kind of weird way. Yeah. Um, and like I said, that one line really is my favorite right? single line from all of old radio. Well, let's uh, let's do our voting, Tim. What's your uh, um, assessment? I would not say it's a timeless classic, but I think it holds up well. It's got a few flaws, but qualified uh, good. That's a vote I can have, right? Yes. <laughs> qualified good. <laughs> oh, I think it is a timeless classic. I think it stands the test of time, and I'm not just saying that because my wife's here, because we've been married for 19 years, and we're very comfortable disagreeing with one another. <laughs> I think it is. Uh, all romantic connections to it or personal history with it, I think it really uh, stands the test of time and is a great story. Adrian? Maybe it's not terrifying, but I do no. find it very disturbing. Right. It's, and I've heard it so many times over the last 19 years, and I still find it disturbing. It makes it makes me squirm. It's so right. uncomfortable to listen to. I think it is a timeless classic. I think that it is. it stands the test of time. I think it's really well written, really well done. Uh, I changed the music. <laughs> uh, but I think it's uh, – I like everything about it. My whole deal is I don't know why. It's, it's this. It's this argument that I always have. I can't – I don't like The Grateful Dead. Okay? Mm-hmm. okay, but you okay. can't say the Grateful Dead suck because eight billion people can't be wrong. They obviously are very good, right? Mm-hmm. But they're not my deal. Mm-hmm. I think that's my deal with this thing. Like, yeah, it's okay. I get it. It's really well done, and I get why you like it. But it's not m- completely my deal, and I don't quite know why. <laughs> but Horror I, is a lot like comedy, where right. sometimes it just speaks to you or it doesn't. Right. And if it does speak to you, it's much easier to um, rationally explain and argue why. If it doesn't. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's just like, eh, ants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, right. that's, that's how I, is exactly how I feel about apples. <laughs> you want an apple? Uh, yeah. They're fine. I don't hate them. versus the apple. You better <laughs> giant apples. Well, thank you for listening. Adrian, thanks so much for joining us. Yay. It was fun. Happy yeah. Valentine's Day, honey. This is all Aww. I got you. <laughs> a guest appearance on a podcast. Wow. I didn't even give my wife that. How about you? No. No. <laughs> See? I'm a good husband. <laughs> Just work on that William Conrad voice and we'll be good. Oh, my God. I don't want to know what happens later. Hey, if you want to learn more about the show and other things that we're doing, you can go to... GhoulishDelights.com. What will they find there, Tim? They'll find other episodes if they want to listen to past episodes we have done, or future if this is not the most recent one. Um, You can also (laughs) learn about uh, live shows we do. Sometimes we go out and do live shows, including... uh, We're invited to do the shows. You made it sound like guerrilla theater, (laughs) where we just... Show up unannounced. <laughs> We're invited. Actually paid. <laughs> um, in fact, if this is uh, current for you, James J. Hill Center hosts us on a monthly basis. You can find more information about that at our website or theirs. Uh, what's the next one in February? What are the two we're doing? We are doing an episode of Escape. 
The Diamond as Big as the Ritz by F. Scott Fitzgerald, mm-hmm. and The Shadow People from Hall of Fantasy. Nice. And if you're listening, please uh, tell people you like it. Yes, write reviews. Go to iTunes. It really helps. Uh, we have some really nice reviews, so I thank every listener who's left one. But please, more would help. It helps uh, get us a little more recognition on iTunes and get some more listeners. So please do. All right. And what's the next episode? What's coming up next? Who's it? Is it is your episode from a listener's request. Oh, that's right. Yep. So Shannon, not my wife Shannon, different Shannon. <laughs> If you're listening, we're going to do your request next time. Song of the Slasher from Inner Sanctum. Until next time. Look out!